So Luke chapter 24, starting from verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed to the faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other woman with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to be an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hope that he was the chosen one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some woman of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, the slow of the heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they draw near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And the eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while, we talked, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has indeed risen, and has appeared to Simon. 
Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broad fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I still with, was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And were continually in the temple, blessing God. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for this weekend, an opportunity each year that we have, uh, whether we are believers or whether we are seekers, uh, to be able to think about what happened almost 2,000 years ago uh, in Jesus' death and resurrection. We thank you that these are events that are based in history. They're not just legendary stories or fairy tales, but uh, based on a real person who lived in a real place in a real time, uh, who died a real death. Uh, and who also rose alive again uh, in a way that we can be confident, uh, that can give us not just um, evidence that it happened, but more importantly, meaning for why it happened, a real hope, an opportunity to see this world differently, a world that is so broken. And so today we pray as we come before your word again, uh, maybe for the first time that we would understand the significance of the empty grave, or perhaps for, the, for a reminder that we so sorely need in this a brokenness that we feel, to be able to feel hope again and to be able to trust in Jesus and what he brings. For this we pray in his name. Amen. I'm not sure about you guys and how often you think about death, uh, but I am someone who is on the morbid end of the scale, right? I, like to, I think about death, uh, I don't like it, but I think about death quite a lot actually. I remember when I was growing up, uh, I was probably only eight or nine, uh, my parents were quite happening, as they say. They would go out late at night to have dinner parties. I think they used to dance, like cha-cha and stuff, or go and play mahjong. Some of you have played mahjong with my parents. Uh, and they would come back, right, pretty late. So I'd be there, uh, way past my bedtime, on the top of the staircase. It's 9.30, they're not back yet. 10 o'clock, not back yet. 10.30, not back yet. And I'm starting to have morbid thoughts, right? Maybe something happened to them on the way home. Uh, because, you know, Singapore is so unsafe and all that. Um, you know, maybe something happened to them. Uh, and when I hear the gates uh, opening, then I, I, I was comforted to know that they were alive and safe and I'd go to bed. And that's pretty much carried through the rest of my life. I've always thought about uh, their passing and my own death and what that'd be like. 
And when I started to have my own family and my own children, I started to imagine right, what would happen if one or more of them uh, were to be, uh, was something would happen to them. Right? Now, I've done that all my life, and it's not exactly a fun thing. Right? I don't choose to do it. It just comes into my mind. Uh, and at best, uh, they unsettle me a little bit. But more often than not, there is uh, always a tinge uh, of fear, a fear that grips me, uh, even if it's just for a moment. It's kind of morbid, isn't it? Uh, I'm not sure whether you're like that. I know in the first service, a couple of people came up to me at the end and said, I'm like that too. I've been thinking about death ever since I was young. So that's you, and you're kind of morbid. Come and chat with me. Uh, you're not abnormal. You're just like me. Now, for those of us, for most of us maybe, we much prefer not to think about death. It's not a fun topic. We prefer not to think about it. Uh, but it's not something that we can avoid, uh, is it? For death has touched us all in some way, I'm sure, in our church over the last few months and the last few years, death has touched many in our church. Some of us have lost grieved ones to death, uh, loved ones uh, to death, and others of us have walked with them in their grief. Uh, there are those at the moment who are battling uh, impending death and, 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 and sickness, and some of us are walking with them in their battles. But whether we realize it or not, the threat and tyranny of death is something that we interact with more than we realize or that we choose to admit. Right? We may choose to ignore it or not admit it, but it, it touches us more than we choose to admit. Uh, the fear of death, it causes us to wear masks and to get vaccines and to close international borders to prevent deadly diseases from touching us. Uh, millions and billions of R&D dollars are spent, aren't they, on, on medical technology and, and medicine research in the, in the vain attempt to withhold death or even beat it. Uh, engineers uh, are always doing research, building cars with ever-increasing safety features to protect the driver and the passenger and the, the pedestrians. We install security cameras in our house. Uh, we buy health insurance. We eat healthy foods. Right? We eat nutrition and vitamins and supplements, all to preserve life and to avoid death. Whether we realize it or, or admit to it, we all fear death, don't we? And why is that? Because death is to be feared. Death is to be feared. Death touches us all personally. If it hasn't already, it will. Death pervades our entire existence, our world, whether you realize it or not. And that is why I'm so glad that you're here today, on this Easter Sunday, to be able to sit under God's Word together to celebrate uh, with Christians Easter Sunday, a day that remembers 2,000 years ago uh, that Jesus, a man in history, died and was buried, and then on the third day, he rose from the dead. Uh, that we celebrate, in a way, in an empty grave. And today's opportunity for us to think about and consider and reflect upon the meaning of this empty grave. The meaning of this empty grave. Because it's not just the facts of the empty grave that's important, it's the meaning, the significance of it. And the empty grave has massive personal significance for every single one of us as well as an eternal cosmic significance right, that spans not just our history, but into eternity. We'll see that in this life that is full of death, we have hope. That is what we'll see as the meaning, the core meaning of the empty grave. So keep your Bibles open to Luke 24, and we'll look from the beginning. From verse 1, we see that uh, Luke 24, it picks up the story of the first Easter Sunday. It's early in the morning, 
Uh, and a few women come along, Mary, uh, Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and a few other women, uh, we're not told their names, they came to the tomb where they fully expected to see a dead body because they brought with them spices, uh, presumably to further embalm the dead body of their friend. But when they arrive, they see that the stone that sealed the tomb had been rolled away. This massive stone had been rolled away. And they look inside, but there's nobody there. Right? Literally, nobody there. Right? The grave was empty. Now, I'm not going to do uh, any apologetics in this sermon. And I don't, by that, I don't mean I'm not going to say sorry. Uh, apologetics is a field of study uh, which... Um, it uses evidences and arguments from history and science and philosophy and so on to, to show that the Bible can be believed, right? that Christianity can be believed. Now, if apologetics is something that greatly interests you, there are many great books to read, and a good starting point would be The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. If you want to know more about the apologetics, the history, the science, the philosophy uh, of whether this thing actually happened. Now, I want to say that the apologetic arguments to defend the empty tomb, that it wasn't that someone came and stole the body or that it, uh, it actually was empty, uh, and the resurrection that followed is actually very compelling, the evidences. The fact of the empty tomb stands up to historical scrutiny, right? That's one of the reasons why me as a science guy, uh, a person who likes evidence, can still trust in what the Bible says. But even more important than the facts of the empty tomb and the resurrection is the significance. Now, the tomb was empty. The big question is, so what? Right? So what? Now, what does it mean... And why does it matter to any of us that this tomb 2,000 years ago was empty? Well, have a look, right? The angels at the tomb, at the end of verse 5, they've given us the first big meaning for this empty tomb. Have a, have a look. Uh, verse 5, second part. The angel said to the women, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. See, the reason for the empty tomb, the reason the tomb is empty is because Jesus is no longer dead, right? He is living. He is living. He has come back alive. Uh, and just a few verses later in verse 13, on that very day, perhaps in the afternoon, we see him walking uh, on this road towards Emmaus with two other guys. And then later that night, he appears and he visits his 11 disciples who thought he was still in the grave. They, he came and visited them. And then later on in the New Testament, we find out that a further 500 witnesses at least saw Jesus walking around after he had risen from the dead. Now, the New Testament was written, the New Testament was written about 20, 30 years after all these events. And, and, and the Apostle Paul says that there are still people alive who saw what happened. You can ask them. You can go and fact check. It's like, you know, today is 2022. So in 2052, 30 years later, all you young people will still probably be here. I maybe, maybe not here in 30 years. But in 30 years' time, someone could ask you what happened, right? In 2022, and you'd be able to tell. Now, obviously, not... Not very, uh, nothing very supernatural happened today, maybe not yet, but if something like a, someone rises from the dead happened, you'd remember it. And you could fact check if you lived in AD 60 that Jesus came back alive and saw all these people. You see, Jesus was raised alive in real flesh and blood. He wasn't just a spirit, and he wasn't just a, a ghost disembodied, but real flesh. He walked with people. He ate and he drank real food, he had real conversations, he had real scars that you could see and that you could touch. The empty tomb means that Jesus came back to life. But the question still remains, right, so what? Right, so what that he came back alive? Now, we've got to realize, right, that the resurrection of Jesus isn't just some supernatural oddity, right, some, some one-off spectacular spiritual event in history. 
It's not like when the disciples, having seen the resurrected Jesus, and, you know, they retell the story and say, you know, this, this our friend Jesus, uh, he was arrested one day, and then he got a raw deal at his trial, right? He was falsely accused. But you know what? One day he came back to life, right? After having been horribly executed. Now, that's just cool, right? Well, I didn't expect that. It's, it's cool that get Jesus back. It didn't just say that. It didn't just say that it was cool that Jesus came back alive. For them, they knew that it meant something much more than that, right? It was much more than just some spiritual oddity that happened once off. For them, it meant that Jesus' words were proven true. Have a look at verse 6, the second half of it. The angels continued, right? Remember how he told you, the angel told the women, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. You see, Jesus had predicted many times Right, in the previous months, perhaps even years, that all of this would happen. That he would be arrested, and then he would be beaten up, that he would be executed, crucified on a cross, and then on the third day, he would rise again. Everything that happened on the first Good Friday Easter weekend. And all that Jesus had predicted came true exactly as he said. Now, when you think about it, Jesus being correct about rising from the dead after Uh, Three days is utterly mind-blowing, isn't it? Now, the rest of the prediction, you can kind of see why that might be pretty easy to predict. I mean, Jesus, after all, was going around claiming to be the Son of God, claiming to be the eternal King, the Savior, claiming to be the one who would rule God's people and who would save God's people. Now, if you were speaking like that in the first century in Rome, you can imagine the religious leaders and the political leaders, they wouldn't like that very much. And for him to be arrested, that would make sense. For him to be beaten up and then executed, that would make perfect sense for a revolutionary like Jesus. But rising from the dead, that's impossible, right? That's ridiculous. That's the stuff of make-believe, of fiction, of fairy tales. Yet, Jesus' impossible words came true. It wasn't just that he was arrested and beaten up and executed on the cross. His prediction impossible prediction that he would rise from the dead on the third day came true. And if, if his prediction of his resurrection came true, then everything else he has said, all the other claims that he had made, well, they have to be true as well. You see, the resurrection isn't just something that happens out of the blue. Right? It's not just some spiritual oddity, a standalone event. It's got a rich, rich background and backstory. Now, I'm pretty sure all of us here are pretty familiar with the Olympic torch. Everyone knows the Olympic torch and how it lights the Olympic flames that begin the Olympics uh, uh, every four years. Uh, Have anyone been to an Olympic opening ceremony before? Anyone here? I have. Uh, Okay, in 2000, I amazingly won tickets, right, to the Sydney 2000 Olympics uh, opening ceremony. And I was there witnessing Kathy Freeman, probably Australia's greatest athlete, come into the stadium with a torch. Uh, and then she got up onto this podium, and then there was this ring when she put the flame down, and it all lit up around her, this ring of fire, and then it started to rise, as you see here. And then it got to a certain point, and it got stuck. Um, all of us in the stadium didn't realize that anything was wrong. We thought it was part of the spectacle, but after a few minutes, it kept going all the way to the top, right? And so it was like, great cheers, and all that, right? Now, the lighting ceremony of the Olympics, it isn't just a once-off spectacle, is it? It isn't about getting some extra light into the stadium because there's not enough light, so they had to put this big torch up there. It wasn't, light, it wasn't about that. Because the, the, the torch 
uh, has, a, has a rich backstory. It is the culmination of a long journey that is saturated with meaning, not just a long journey by distance, but a long journey by history. Uh, if you didn't know, the Olympic torch, months before the Olympic Games, is lit in Olympia, the city of Olympia in Greece, as a way to connect it back to the history where the Olympics began. The torch, having been lit, it travels through many hands. Many people run the torch race through many countries. The great symbolism of the Olympics is being shown here. Uh, it's about peace and unity and friendship. And the Olympic torch, when it lights the, the, the cauldron on, on that opening ceremony of the Olympics, it comes with it a deep backstory saturated with history and symbolism. Now, Jesus' resurrection is like that. It is not a once-off uh, spectacle, not just some random act of God's power or niceness that one day he decided to do some random act in human history just to show off. No, it's got a huge backstory, this resurrection of Jesus. It is the culmination of many words that have been spoken, many promises that have been made, the plans of God for all of human history and God's eternity behind it. Plans that have a great and deep personal impact on every single one of us, as well as plans that is history and eternity-defining. Personal, deeply personal, but cosmically, eternally defining as well. Now, starting with the most personal then, on the most personal level, Jesus' resurrection means that our resurrection is made possible. Every single one of us, our resurrection is made possible because of Jesus' resurrection. Now, if you look at verse 21, we read in verse 21 about the hope that Israel, which is God's chosen people in the Old Testament, the hope that they had. You see, when Jesus had come claiming to be the Christ, which is God's King, God's Messiah, when He came to save, they had hoped that he would be the one who would redeem Israel, who would save Israel, to deliver Israel out of all that she was trapped in. On one level, it was a political oppression, an earthly oppression, yes, but on a deeper and a greater level, it was to be delivered from their spiritual bondage. You see, that the rest of mankind, Israel was trapped in her sin and was under the tyranny, the judgment of death. They had hoped that Jesus would redeem them out of death and into life. Now, Jesus himself had fanned the, the, the flames of this hope when he went preaching and teaching before he had been crucified. So in, in John's Gospel, this is what Jesus promised, right? He was what he declared, I am, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He asked his friends, right? Do you believe this? You see, when Jesus died on the cross, it seemed like this promise, this, this hope had been dashed. You see, the followers of Jesus, the disciples, they, they couldn't understand uh, the plan of God. They didn't understand the prediction of Jesus, right? They heard the first bit that he would be uh, arrested. They heard that he would be beaten up and that he would be crucified. But they, they somehow didn't get they didn't believe that he would be raised from the dead. And so all they knew was that Jesus had died on the cross, and they all scattered. They all ran away scared. They were wondering, right, how could a dead man be a king? How could a dead king rule and save? They just didn't understand that Jesus had to die. 
Otherwise, how would he be able to rise from the dead? If he hadn't died, how would he be the resurrection? How would he be the life that overcomes death if he doesn't die? You see, in dying, Jesus took on himself the sins of the world. He paid the penalty of judgment and he absorbed the wrath of God. But when he rose from the dead, it showed that he defeated, defeated death. He showed that, that sin had been dealt with. It's proof of God's power at work in him. Proof that he indeed is not just a man, but the Son of God. And so it's his resurrection that secures our hope for our own resurrection, our hope for life in death. Now this is part of the backstory, right, that makes sense of the resurrection of Jesus, one of great personal significance to each and every one of us. Uh, Jesus uh, holds out this promise to everyone, doesn't he, when he says, whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Now, we all know that we face death of many kinds. Uh, We will all physically die. Um, No one is immune from death. But Jesus' promise here is that those who believe in him shall live. Through his resurrection is the hope of our resurrection. In, In the most profound sense, then, we will never truly die as believers. Uh, In another part of the Bible, it talks about how for Christians, death is like just going to sleep, where one day you will just simply wake up from and you'll be with Jesus in paradise. Though our bodies right now will waste away and though our minds will decay, though we will experience all kinds of deathly experiences and brokenness and even death itself, God's Word tells us that they are all light momentary afflictions preparing us for the eternal weight of glory that is to come. Light momentary afflictions that's preparing us for the eternal weight of glory that is to come. And you might be wondering, like, death in all its forms, they don't feel light. They feel so heavy to deal with cancer and disease and, and all kinds of experiences of death. And experiencing death itself, that seems pretty permanent, doesn't it? How can it be momentary when death seems to be forever? When we die, we are gone. And when others die, the the grief and the sadness that we feel, they don't go away quickly. It lasts, it stays with us for months, maybe even years, when we experience death around us. But you see, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have a hope of resurrected life that will make all of this death in this life feel and seem like they are light and momentary, in comparison to the eternal weight of glorious resurrected life that is to come. It's about the contrast, right? The the death that we experience now is heavy if there is nothing else, but if, if there is a resurrection and there is one through Jesus, then it is light and momentary in contrast to the eternal glory of resurrection life that is to come. And so the empty tomb means that Jesus is alive. And this is huge for us personally. This is our hope in a life full of death. But there is another layer of meaning that I want to talk about as well that goes beyond the personal. It goes way beyond the personal. The resurrection of Jesus is the culmination of God's eternal plans. There is an even bigger backstory than just the promise that Jesus made in John's Gospel. The backstory isn't just about our personal salvation and redemption. You see, the backstory includes all of God's plans. In, in, in history past, 
recorded for us in the Old Testament that speaks about eternity future in the kingdom, eternal kingdom that is to come. If you look at this passage, right, on the road to Emmaus, uh, if you look down to verse 25 to 27, Jesus uh, walked around along with these two guys and he explained to them something, doesn't he? He speaks to them. He says to them, verse 25, All foolish ones and, f- and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then later that night, to his 11 disciples, he said this in verse 44. Jesus said to his disciples, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Now, I want us to all notice what Jesus does here, right? To, to both the two men on the road to Emmaus, as well as to his 11 disciples in the room later that night. What does he do? He opens the scriptures, doesn't he? He opens up the Old Testament. Uh, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, which is the way to describe the three-part division of the Old Testament. He opened up the Holy Scriptures, which reveals God and His plans for the world. Right? This is the backstory that is a thousand of years in the making. Jesus opened up the Scriptures and showed uh, the, the, the two men and the disciples all that was written in the Scriptures that pointed to Him and what He had done. It is only after Jesus had come to live in this world, it's only after Jesus had died on the cross, it's only after Jesus had risen from the dead after three days that the Old Testament, the the, the plans and purposes of God make sense because it is Jesus that fulfills the purposes and plans of God. He is the end point, the culmination, the, 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 the fulfillment of God's purposes and plans that have been foretold in history that will be played out in eternity. So the question then is, what is God's plan? Now, that's a big question, uh, and it will take many sermons to unpack, but I think it can be summed up in a, a very simple nutshell, right? In a nutshell, it can be summed up as this. God's plan is to bring all things in heaven and on earth, to bring all things under His Son, the King. God's plan is to bring all things in heaven and on earth for all time under His Son, His eternal King. Now, over the last two weeks, before this Easter weekend, we started looking at Genesis 1 and 2, and we saw how God created this world, and He is the King of this world, and He made people to be rulers of the world under Him. But as we'll see next week in Genesis 3, so come back next week if you want to hear about the fall of man, we see that very early on in the story, the rejection of God as Creator and King happens. Sin and death came into this world. God's plan was always to bring all things back under Jesus, to rule this broken world. God's plan was always to have Him, Jesus, be the one that redeems and saves uh, sinful humanity from sin and death. To have Him be the one who will redeem and restore this broken world. And to bring in a, a new creation paradise that we looked at in the previous sermon series in Revelation. It's kind of weird, isn't it? We went from the last book of the Bible to the first. But it makes sense to know the end of the story. Jesus comes to achieve that. 
to be the king who will rule in this eternal kingdom, this new creation. It will be a place where he will rule forever. And so good will Jesus' rule be that he will receive all the glory and praise for being such a good king. So good will his rule be that we will enjoy the blessed life that we were created and saved to enjoy, free of death and free of sin of every kind. You see, when Jesus rose from the dead, he was raised to take his place on the eternal throne. That is the eternal cosmic significance of Jesus' death. Deep personal meaning, his resurrection ours, but also amazing eternal significance, the eternal king on the throne. This is the profound meaning of the cross, sorry, of the empty tomb, of the empty grave. Now let's wrap things up then with three implications, right? So last three points about what all this means for us. Now all this means for us is that the empty grave gives us real hope, right? This empty grave, a real place in history, uh, real time, a real event gives us real hope. You see, hope is what you get. Hope is what you get when you realize that there is a different worldview that you can have. A real hope is when you, can, when you realize that you have a different worldview as possible. Jesus' resurrection shows us that death is not the last word. It is not the last word. There is life beyond this death. He came back from the dead to show us this. Jesus' resurrection shows us that God's eternal plan is the proper perspective of seeing our world. That what we see and what we touch in this world isn't all that there is. God's eternal plan, eternal kingdom, is the proper perspective to view the world. This world that is full of death is not the final story. It's not the full story. The story continues on into eternity with King Jesus on the throne. The resurrection and the life ruling over the new creation. And this is the hope that is held out to all who will believe. Now, for the disciples in this story, they found it hard to believe, didn't they? Uh, even though they had heard Jesus tell them many times what would happen, they didn't believe. Uh, even when the women came back from the empty tomb with an eyewitness testimony, they didn't believe. And even when Jesus stood among them in that supper on that night, and they saw his hands inside and his feet and the scars, they could scarcely believe that Jesus had come back to life. Yet, Eventually, their doubts were overcome, weren't they? The tomb, after all, is empty, and Jesus was standing in their midst. He is alive. For the two men who were on the road to Emmaus, they didn't yet have spiritual eyes to see Jesus properly when Jesus walked with them and he spoke with them. But the more that he spent time with them and the more that they heard Jesus' explanation of the Old Testament, we are told that there's something burned within their hearts as they heard Jesus speak and explain scriptures. And eventually they too came to see Jesus and believe in Him. Now, how about for you today? How about for you? Perhaps you have heard about the resurrection of Jesus, but you've found it really hard to believe that such a thing could have happened. Or perhaps you've heard about the resurrection of Jesus, but you don't really know what it means and why it should matter to you. Why are Christians so on about this resurrected Jesus guy? And perhaps today you've heard something that has lit a spark in you something that has a little bit of a flame of interest, can I encourage you not to let that fade away anytime soon? Um, the empty grave, the, the resurrected Jesus, the hope of life in death, the eternal kingdom of God, these are way too important for you to just ignore and forget about. If there is any spark of interest that you have right now, explore it, investigate it, dig deeper, and find out. 
maybe as you see Jesus more, as you understand who he is and what he's done more, you, like the two men on the road to Emmaus, will have the, the, this spark light up into a fire of belief and trust in Jesus, such that you will come to see that he is your resurrection and your life. Now, for others of us, and there are many of us here who are believers, that we've already put our trust in the Lord Jesus. We know that He is our hope in life and death. But perhaps today is a day that you solely need to be reminded uh, and be comforted of these truths. We live in pretty broken times, don't we? If it's not COVID, it's war. If it's not war, there's all these personal experiences of death uh, within ourselves and in the people around us. Uh, our daily experience of death can really beat us down and really weigh us down. And I hope that today is a message that would uh, light that fire of joy again and renew you and refresh you as you realize again that Jesus is your hope, your resurrection and your life. That there is a, a, a blessed life after this one. Uh, there is no promise that in this life we'll be freed from all our burdens, but there is a guarantee and the life to come, it will be a resurrected, glorious life. So keep on holding on to Jesus. And because we know this, the, the final encouragement I want to give us all is to share the gospel. Share about the risen Jesus. I wonder what your last week has been like. For me, my last week has been like this, right? I've had a really busy two months, and I'm tired. And I had to write a sermon before Friday because we had a full day at church on Friday. So I quickly tried to work on the sermon and then when I wasn't working on the sermon, I was trying to rest. And I was uh, really trying to think about and really reflect on the gospel message. But more than that, I was thinking, this is such great news. And I'm preaching this point. Have I actually shared the gospel with anyone in the lead up to, to, to Easter? Have I any conversations that allowed me to bring up the fact that I believe in a risen Jesus, who is the Savior and the King of eternity? I found it really hard in the last week to have opportunities being so busy with church things. But I'm really thankful that in the coming week, school's back, the netball season begins, right? And that's pretty much where I have contact with my non-Christian friends. And it encourages me to share about what I've learned over this weekend. To share that Jesus is the one who died for our sins to bring us back to God. And Jesus is alive, which brings with it a, a personal significance that every one of my friends need to hear but also an eternal significance that everyone needs to be a part of God's eternal kingdom. Wouldn't it be great in the coming days, maybe people ask you, what did you do on a weekend? And you tell them that you were, you were at church and that you rejoiced in the risen Jesus and tell them what it means to you and what it can mean for them. This is the good news that we have. This is life. Let's make sure we share it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks and that we have heard you speak to us through your word that 2,000 years ago you so powerfully raised your son from the dead to give us proof positive that sin has been dealt with, judgment has been paid, and that life has swallowed up death, that Jesus' resurrection means that death has been defeated. We thank you that the uh, empty grave isn't just a uh, a spectacular, spiritual, miraculous event in history that has no real meaning or, or purpose for us today. We thank you for showing us that it is dripping with meaning. It is dripping with backstory that has such huge, deep, personal impact for every single one of us. 
for the promises given to us by the Lord Jesus that whoever believes in him, though we experience death of many kinds and we experience death itself in the end, in Jesus we shall never truly die, but that he is our resurrection and life. He will bring us to the eternal kingdom where there will be life everlasting, life that is glorious and good. We give you thanks too for a new perspective to be able to see this broken world that is full of death, that we can have real hope because there is a real difference that Jesus made, that he came to fulfill your plans for eternity. So help us see that this life isn't all that there is. Help us to, to rejoice that there is a life to come. And even as we rejoice in the life that we have in Jesus, help us to be those who share this good news to all those who are dead and dying around us. Help them to know, too, that Jesus is their resurrection and their life. Please give us opportunities in the coming days and weeks to be able to share this wonderful news to all around us. For we pray this in Jesus' name.